Welcome to Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. Are you ready to break through the barriers in your career? Well, sign up for our newsletter and you'll receive exclusive content, updates, and new podcast episodes delivered right to your inbox. They'll help you tear down those barriers and roadblocks that are holding you back. Today's guest is the manager of legal services at Slate Asset Management and a producer at Super Incorporated, a company that creates inspiring medical documentaries showcasing the journeys of individuals coping with chronic illness. She has over 18 years experience as a law clerk, practicing in the areas of corporate and securities law in various industries. We are so pleased to have Amanda Goreski on the show with us today. Her mantra is, in managing your career, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Listen to her journey as she talks about the value of knowing your worth and your worth within your corporation, the importance of being able to negotiate for yourself, and the difference between working for a firm versus in-house. And now introducing your host, co-founder and president of Women Leadership Nation, Jennifer Latticer. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be here with you. So we start every session with one question that we ask everybody. So when you were younger, what did you want to be? I wanted to be a race car driver. Um, That didn't turn out, clearly. Um, And an architect. That was the other thing, actually. Yeah. Uh, I I drew a lot of houses when I was a kid. uh, Not a lot of people, but a lot of structures. Right. And, um, but I wasn't very good at math. And, um, so I just opted to not, as time went on, my interests kind of changed as well. But yeah. I had a, I had a grandfather who always told me, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. Um, so that was always kind of helpful. And when he said, when I said I wanted to be an architect, he, you know, was like, well, you can, you can do that. But yeah, I, if I, if I had my way and time's were more like they are today, I, I probably would have loved to have been a race car driver, believe it or not. That's cool. And yeah. so have you, have you uh, taken any opportunities to like go on a track? No, I mean, I've owned some cars that could have been on the track. I, when I was in my early twenties, I had a, a 1968 Porsche Targa. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have been, they do like the Porsche Club of Canada does track days. And I, I could have done that. Um, but I never, I never did, but I had this older Irish gentleman who taught me how to drive it, which I thought was huh. pretty cool. And yeah. you know, cause it, it had a really, it was sticky going into first. And I, and he'd said to me, you know, I think we better go out and we better have a drive of it so that you can, you can know how to, how to, to, to drive it and get it into first quickly. And so he taught me how to do that. And as we were driving, the one thing that always kind of stuck with me was, he said, these are fast cars. And if you respect it, it will respect you. Oh, right. And I thought it was super interesting. And so later I ended up getting an, uh, a Mustang and those that's faster than Porsche was. And I always remembered that, like, don't, don't drive, you know, don't, don't mistreat it. Cause it will mistreat you. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Maybe that's something we could do together one day. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I look at these exotic car experiences and um, you know, I'm always looking for sort of the next, the next car and talking about what the next one will be. And I mean, I could 
probably just go out. I'm a big Mustang fan, like a big enthusiast, but I really, really want a Shelby. So I'll be kind of hanging on to save up and get one of those. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a track car for sure. You're in law now, as well as we'll get into a little bit about some of the the other fun things that you're doing in your career, but what sort of drove you to go into that path? Um, I'm actually not sure what exactly made me go into that path. I think my dad wanted me to be a teacher and I knew for sure I did not want to be a teacher. Um, And I took, when I went to Queens, I took a constitutional law course just because it the the area I was studying kind of allowed me to take some Queen's law courses and I just really liked it um and I liked sort of it was really good with like I'm really good with like structures but not so good as far as like creativity goes and so I just found that because I I understood uh, the structure behind laws, like, and the interpretation of the wording and that sort of thing that I just, I thought it was sort of the right, the right career for me. And I, I thought I'd make decent money doing it, which was another big thing. And we had a, we had a family business at the time, a big one, like a big family business. And I thought, okay, well, I could be maybe helpful that way. So that was sort of the driver. I think, I think it was just, I think the plan was always that I would be a lawyer but I decided to go to college first and be a law clerk to see if I liked it before I did the investment. And, and it just, basically I got a job in the entertainment industry pretty well at a school and I haven't really left that career. So I've been doing it now for 20 years. Wow. That's great. And so in terms of, um, you know, women in law is, did you find like going through school and then when you got into it, was there, was it, but pretty balanced or because what we're finding is that there's a lot of women going into law, but when you get to say, say with a, a law firm, the partner level, it's starts to decline. What was your experience? Um, I think uh, I worked, a, I, I worked a lot of in-house. So my career has been in-house, meaning like in a corporation. Um, I have worked with a number of different female lawyers over the years, some very, very successful ones. But I, I do also have friends that are lawyers and who are in firms and, um, you know, have been looked over for partner because they were getting, they were pregnant again or, um, you know, and have had some that are pretty, um, you know, pretty ballsy to be like, no, you're not going to overlook me because I'm pregnant. That's discriminatory. I think, I think firms are getting a lot better from what I, I understand. Um, but I think it's still a bit of the old boys club a little bit. Um, I, I, I will say this, uh, the, the business that I work for right now, they're very progressive. So they're very, very, I, I would say they're very progressive at moving women forward in, in, in their business and in, in the corporation, uh, the lawyer that I currently work with, uh, she was just appointed uh, chief compliance officer and she will be going on mat leave. Like we know she'll be going on mat leave. So I, that's progressive. I think yeah. that's that's a very open-minded business. And I don't, I don't believe all businesses are like that at this point. Um, I still think, I think when I first joined like 20 years ago, when I worked with female lawyers, I think they all felt that they had something to prove and they were, it was a little bit more difficult to work for them for sure. Um, 
but I, I ended up hitting a stride of some pretty good ones. I worked with one for a very long time and she ended up going to work at, uh, at Netflix in California. And she was just amazing and never second guessed it. Never second guessed herself, always held her own, like just incredible. And I, I think I took a lot of my career from watching her. Like I took a lot forward that, you know, you don't have to be, uh, you know, super forceful. You can do things in a nice way. Uh, and I, I learned a lot from her. So I think, um, I think along the way, I've worked for quite a few women. I think some good and some, some feel who definitely feel like they have to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think as, as time has moved on in my career, I think it's less and less that women are feeling that way. That's my opinion, at least in house. Right. I, I you know, a firm might be a different, uh, you know, I did a couple of short stints in firms and it wasn't for me. No. And so what do you, in your career, like what have, have you um, had any uh, times where you've had to make some major decisions and, and shift or have you, um, you know, how did you handle in terms of your career growth, some of the times in your career where you've kind of had to decide to go in different directions? Yeah, I think it's, um, I've made some moves definitely that are kind of, I think some people would think we're a little bit strange because I definitely get asked about it on my resume. Um, so when I came out of school, I worked for a small firm in Newmarket and I did corporate estates law. Mm -hmm. And now I'm now I do corporate securities, but I didn't stay there very long. I knew it wasn't for me. Um, and I got a job at it was Alliance Atlantis at the time. So I got a job there. I, I worked there for about three years. And um, the, the woman who was the manager of my department and me, she went on mat leave and basically they said, okay, you're going to, you're going to do the job, your job and her, her job. So I took it on. I was a young clerk. I would have been, I don't even think I was a year into it. Um, well, no, I would have been about a year and a half into it. And um, then she opted to not come back from mat leave. And the general counsel said to me, okay, well, um, we're going to give you the title, but no pay increase. Oh, wow. And at that point, I, I kind of thought that was wrong. It left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Mm -hmm. So I went and I got another job and I left and I, I did love that job, but I, but there was no way to advance. And I knew I wasn't going to advance if I didn't take a stand at that moment. I was just going to ride the line and people would know that they could just kind of walk all over me. So uh, it's funny because you, you announce you're leaving and then all of a sudden they have the money to promote, they right. have the money to give you. And um, that's actually when I went to work for Danny and um, I stayed, I stayed with him. I was there two, two or three years. And then Alliance Atlantis actually chased me down and asked me to come back. So, um, which is an odd move, right? Like usually you leave and you don't go back to a place, but they invited me back. Things had kind of shifted a bit and um, you know, they kind of made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I ended up going back because entertainment was kind of, that was my niche. That's where I really wanted to be. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up going back. And uh, the traje trajectory from there was kind of interesting in that uh, about a year and a half after going back, they decided to put Alliance Atlantis up for sale because there wasn't mm -hmm. a lot of movement in the entertainment industry at that time. And 
so we got they got a bid from can west and goldman sachs and um we did the we did that transaction i worked on that transaction it was a large and very very complicated one and they offered can west offered me a job uh after that so i went with them but in about i don't know maybe three or four months into it i kind of got the impression that it wasn't it wasn't going to be good like I, it wasn't going to be the spot that i wanted to be uh so i basically went downstairs and there was literally a set of stairs between the 16th and the 15th floor where the movie business or the movie business had been spun off. And uh, I went and talked to their general counsel and I said, look, if there's information you need, please let me know because I'm, I'm going to look for a job. I'm not going to stay with Can West. And that's when she said to me, uh, well, we're going to need somebody what would get what would what would what would your number be if you wanted to come here and I wrote it down on a piece of paper and she said I'll I'll be in touch and I got a call I remember I was in the mall and she called me and said I I got it like will you will you join wow yep so I signed on there so that's kind of I've I've made strange but calculated moves um you know and then from there Alliance Films got sold and I ended up being offered a job as director of legal services for entertainment one and i had just cleaned this company up like so many times that i it was just time to go so i ended up taking a job at um a division of johnson and johnson jansen which is their pharmaceutical company um and i stayed there for three years probably would have still been there but they made some internal changes and then i ended up uh basically being restructured out so that was that was I think probably the toughest time in my career, mm-hmm. um, and then it was just a matter of kind of plugging the gap, uh, you know. And so I went through three jobs before I ended up finding this one, um, and it was hard. It was it was that was the first time I think in my career where I really struggled to figure out what it is and where I wanted to be, mm-hmm. and and trying to find the right sweet spot again. Um, and thankfully, I think I've found it. Um, but, you know, I, I enjoyed my time in the in the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, moan about pharmaceutical companies, but I, I think they do have, in some ways, the best of intentions, or at least yeah, Jansen did. Would you say that too, like all the unique experiences that you've had actually creates uh, an opportunity for you to look at things differently and from a unique perspective, whereas if you had stayed in one position doing the same things, you wouldn't have grown? Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I ended up seeing a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have. I mean, I definitely think for me going back to Alliance Atlantis was a good move. I got to work on this huge transaction and I was kind of right in the middle of it. And I think, um, you know, I would have been, I guess I would have been about 14 years into my career. No, yeah. In and around there when Alliance film sold, but seven years into my career at the time Alliance Atlanta sold. And I got to be sort of in the middle of this eye of the storm coming together and this huge company being broken apart into pieces. And I, mm-hmm. I don't regret that move. It was a good move because now I see a lot of I, I see a lot of things and I'll, I'll look at things and think, well, that that doesn't look right to me. So um, I think I think that really and I, I managed like we had like 800 subsidiaries. Wow. So, 
uh, I think it was I think it was a really, really, really good move. And I think moving to Alliance Films was an excellent move. And I don't I don't regret one step of my career. And I and I know a lot of people um, do, but I don't I think everything kind of happens for a reason. Yeah, I, I love that perspective. I think it's true because I think that even when you may not realize it at the time, there's something that happens later on in your life and you're like, wow, like I learned from that. So what what advice would you give to say women that are just, you know, getting into their career in law and, you know, maybe, you know, advice in terms of when is it right for them to go with um, a firm versus when is it right to, for them to go in house? What recommendations do you have for them? So I had, I had somebody once tell me that my personality was too dynamic for a firm, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. So yeah. I think, I think part of it is for me, um, I think if you like structure and if you like, you know, billable hours and you want to kind of stay in your lane and do resolution drafting and that kind of thing, um, then that's if that's the the type of legal person you want to be then i would say go to a firm but if you want to be some if you want to be somebody who's kind of in the thick of it and who may not even necessarily like even to this day i don't necessarily just do legal work like i get asked to do all sorts of things and i think well i'm not really sure how this is legal work but okay I do it because I take it as a learning experience, right? And I think if you're that person and you're curious and you want to learn and you want to sort of see the inner workings of how um, corporations work, then you're definitely an in-house clerk. And I think too, I think there's a balancing act as well. Like um, if you're, and that's not to say there's not late nights as an in-house clerk, because there is, and you're definitely going to have to do your time, but there are later nights and there is a lot of pressure to have your billable hours as a clerk in a firm. And if that's not for you, then I, I wouldn't recommend it, but I would always say, and this is what, this is the one, you know, there's, there's one mantra I've kind of always lived by. And it's, it's something that my best friend told me when she's in HR. And she said to me in managing your career, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Hmm. And I, and I've always carried that and it, and it's actually not even something that I just use in my career. I use it in my relationships as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's super important. Um, It's, you know, I, I, I went to this women's networking um, conference a few months ago now, but a year ago, I guess it would have been. And they were talking about how women don't ask for what they want. And I thought it was super interesting and about how, um, Oftentimes we're about seven years behind on our RSPs because of how we've negotiated our career to begin with. And they talk about things like getting ahead of the, you know, the, you, you have your, your professional reviews and stuff, get ahead of that professional review and sort of set the tone for what it is your expectation is. Um, You know, your boss doesn't know you and they just know sort of what they think they can give and, and then it's like a guess, it's this weird guessing game. Like, mm-hmm. are they going to be happy? Am I going to be happy? Like, it's crazy. So I've always been super upfront with if I'm happy or if I'm not happy. And, you know, even, even this year, I, I sat down and I, I sort of just said to my boss, well, 
this is kind of what I would love if you could do. And he actually ended up doing it. Wow. Um, and whereas if you hadn't have mentioned it, so I, I think that's really important advice for everybody to, to follow in. I, I wonder too, for, for some uh, people that are sort of younger in their careers and just starting out, you know, how do they find out what to ask for? You know, do you, do you feel like that was kind of a discovery for you in terms of what you could even, um, what you knew you wanted or what was possible? Um, do you, do you agree that maybe there's some need for a mentors as well to maybe say, Hey, guess what? Like, you know, this is the, the range of that the men are getting paid, for example, you know, is yeah, it guidelines? I think, I think, I, I mean, there's certainly, they don't exist. Um, it's part of knowing your worth, right. And knowing right. your worth within your corporation and, and not overextending what you think your worth is. And so, um, you know, I, I took a job uh, before this one at a lower pay, um, but knowing that I could go in there and show them my value and then get my pay raised. And that's actually what I did. And I made it clear when I went there, oh, by the way, I took less money, but I do think I deserve. And I gave a sort of pay scale of what I had been previously paid and, you know, how this was different. And sometimes you have to make your own case. That's mm -hmm. the most important thing I can say is, you know, I had a few jobs ahead of me where I was able to say, well, I made this and I did this and this is the comparison. And, I, you know, I'm also at a point in my career where, uh, you know, and a lot of legal professionals will tell you senior law clerks are almost impossible to find. Right. Like we, we seem to be like the rarest of breeds um, and you get cold calls all the time. Like, you know, are you happy? Do you want to move? Um they're hard to find. I don't know why that is, but you can find like three lawyers to one senior clerk. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. um, and we do different things. I kind of equate them to like doctors and nurses. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, I think there should be some sort of class to teach young people, female or male, when they're coming out of school, how to negotiate for themselves. Oh, and yeah. That's... How not to be kind of pie in the sky either, right? Like, um, but I, but I do think, I do think we don't set our our young up for um, a knowing their worth and b knowing what what to ask for, right? And how to approach it. I mean, I think that there's, I think also there's a lot of times we'll that there'll be your advice out there to say, know your worth and, um, and definitely ask for more, but then also the practical approach of how do you do that? So like literally what words do you use? How do you, you know, how do you build the case and that type of thing? I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very easy thing to do, especially if you do it once and you're successful. Right. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. I would say at this point in my career, I'm very lucky. I have a a very receptive um, uh, person that I work for. He, you know, I can be just as straight as I need to be straight with him, and he has an appreciation for it. I think the not guessing or knowing that he doesn't have to guess with me, I think it takes like a lot of pressure off of both parties, right? Right. No, that's good. So, yeah. And so I know some other fun things that you're working on. So um, I'd love to learn how you got into uh, documentaries and maybe a little bit more about that. I know that there's there's six 
six avail- out right now and in, all in the health uh, education platform. But how did, was that something ca- that came from like a personal interest in film and television or how did that come to be? Well, I've always, I've always enjoyed film. I've always enjoyed television. I, and that's kind of the, that was sort of the backbone of my career. And I think when I went to Janssen, um, thankfully we had some pretty dynamic marketing people and I don't know how it, I know, I don't know how it came to pass that they found out that I worked previously in entertainment, but um, Calvin, who um, founded, uh, I, I'm a producer for a company called Super Incorporated, um, and Calvin founded the company. He left uh, Janssen. He was a, he's a marketing executive, and when he was working at Janssen, he had this idea that, um, you know, you don't have to push a brand of medication, but you can tell a story and, and educate um, people with certain disease states uh, and, and make sure that there's, because there's a lot of misinformation, like Dr. Google can be kind of scary at times. Yeah, we've been diagnosed with a lot of things. Yes, yeah. <laughs> at two o'clock so, in the morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, so basically, I was, I remember it clearly, I was walking out for the day and Calvin kind of caught up to me and he said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I've been, I've been pushing this idea to do uh, medical documentaries on people with certain disease states from diagnosis to treatment. And I need somebody on the content committee from a legal perspective. Um, would you be interested? And, you know, I'm like, sure. I, yeah, I'm happy to do that. So um, we did a few films. I like I have a few friends that are filmmakers. So initially, initially, the first few films, we went out and got filmmakers, we interviewed directors and fairly well known ones like throughout, but they were always Canadian, like we did a lot of like work with Canadian directors. And I, I knew, um, I knew the company that did our man in Tehran, the, the, um, the the documentary uh the like the real story to the to the ben affleck story mm-hmm. so i i did um I, I contacted them and they agreed to sort of work with us on a film so the first series was the psoriasis Sarai, series um and it's like i i think that's that's sort of like the synergy of how it all kind of came together and then i when i after i left jansen calvin and i stayed in touch and I think he was, he, you know, he's a filmmaker by nature um, and his career had sort of uh, focused on marketing and, and commercials and that sort of thing. And I think he just decided that he wanted to make sure that um, people, patients uh, had the proper information and, you know, some hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and these were kind of projects that when I, when I worked on them at Janssen, they, they were, for me, they were feel good projects. I felt like I was making an impact and telling somebody's story. Um, and so I did, I did a number of them with them. Like we, we had a few different projects on the go when I left. Um, but the one that I was most involved in would have been beyond my skin. And it was about a man who had psoriasis with very, 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 very bad psoriasis. And, um, he was basically medicating with drugs and alcohol as well, which kind of presented an issue as far as like, as a drug company, you have certain regulations that you have to abide by. And 
you know, you also want to tell the patient's story, but you don't want to, you don't want to be viewed as sort of exploiting their mm-hmm. pain either. So there was a lot of internal conversations about, you know, do we show that aspect? Do we talk about it? Um, and, you know, the answer we came to is, is there's a responsibility to talk about it because it's part of this person's journey. So we did, mm-hmm. and he was fine with it. Um, and it, it was, it's pretty uplifting. I mean, he wasn't able to sort of do the things that he wanted to do because of the way he looked and through treatment, he, uh, he ended up sort of getting his life back and going back to the gym. And, and that's what you see in the documentary. Um, the most recent one we've done, I mean, and Calvin left Jansen, started super. Um, and then we have a finance guy from, from Jansen that works with us. Uh, and then me, and we, um, you know, we've, we've, we started, we, we, we basically went around all the drug companies kind of gave the the rundown. Calvin, Calvin does a lot of the running down of the drug companies. And basically we ended up getting uh, Novo uh, backed us on a diabetes film. Uh, we got Corey Conacher, who is a NHL player. He has type one diabetes, but he also um, basically he was born with his bladder outside of his body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he agreed to be in a documentary on type one diabetes because it's it's a fine balance when you have it, right? It, because you have to manage your insulin and, and he plays sports. And yeah. some people believe you can't be an athlete and have type one diabetes. I mean, Max Domi is another one that has it. Um, and so it, we kind of chronicled his story. Um, and at the time it was kind of interesting because he had just had a son. So um, we ended up calling that miracle baby and that, mm-hmm tracks you know sort of how Corey Conacher dealt with these health obstacles and how he overcame it to get into the NHL and sort of his dreams for his son and um I think that got like something like six six point three million views or something like that like it was anyways uh it, it you know they're they're watched and we we try to put them out there as much as possible so that you know people know that it's not the disease doesn't have to command you, you can command the disease. And it's, you know, the same with the schizophrenia film after winter. Um, You know, this young man who just, his life kind of fell apart and nobody understood why. And, and now he's, you know, at Dalhousie and, you know, kind of living as, as normal of a life as, you know, as he can because of, you know, the, the help he's received. So I think, I think we definitely try to tell a story from a perspective of helping people. And that's what I, that's what I love about it. It's about learning. I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of people will see people with psoriasis and just be like, that's so gross, you know? And Mm -hmm. I have a different appreciation for all of this now. Like I don't look at it the same at all. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah, I think, I, I think it does so much. And I mean, I don't even know where to begin, like in the sense that, you know, it, it tells a beautiful story. It's very, all of them tell beautiful stories for people that are also suffering from um, psoriasis or schizophrenia or the diabetes. It's, it's almost like, oh, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And it maybe even opens up um, an opportunity to have a dialogue. I know my mother suffered from or suffers from schizophrenia and it was 
I think until the last few years ago, like I publicly never really talked about it or talked about, you know, what it was like, because it was just something that I almost subconsciously wanted to ignore. And I think, you know, when you have any of these, um, you know, situations to be able to just have, first of all, the, the comfort of being able to talk about it, but then also the hope. So for your children that, you know, maybe somebody's going through it, that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that you can get through it. It's, I find them very empowering. And even if you can't directly relate to any of them, I feel like, every one of them, you watch it and you're just going to feel like, wow. And even whatever you're going through personally, you can, if this person can overcome that, like my problem is really not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those things. I mean, I, it's, it's definitely a struggle at times to get them funded. Um, just because of the way pharmaceutical companies are regulated. And, you know, I think there, there's an old guard out there with, well, we can't do this. And and I think there's a lack of understanding that we don't mention brands. It's not about mentioning brands. Um, and definitely our psoriasis film, it won um, you know, best documentary with the with with uh, the dermatologists. And um, you know, we've got I think after winter's gonna be uh, is a is a selection at Kosovo Film Festival. Um, you know, we had um we had uh, the Miracle Baby at Syracuse Film Festival. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I think he, I think Calvin actually won Marketing Award of the Year for one of the films as well. Wow. It, it's, it's one of those things. It's really tough to get people sort of on board. And the films, I think, speak for themselves on the impact. And I, we've been trying to sort of get a couple of different ones off the ground we actually have a really compelling um, person for MS who's um, mm. a radio personality in the U.S. Um, but it's that's been tough. Like we've been talking to the MS Society and it's tough to sort of change the view of, well, that's this isn't what we normally do. Or right. how does this work? Or how does that work? And, you know, meeting the ethical th- thresholds. And um, I, think, I think the more we... I think the more we grow and the more we, we brand and branch out, I think it'll be easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but Calvin does an excellent job at, at, uh, you know, trying to, um, trying to spread the word of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, um, you know, I, there's a few other things that we're, we've sort of got in the back of our mind. COVID definitely hasn't helped with it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we like, we've we're definitely interested in rare diseases that's another one i don't i don't know if people know this but there's a a segment of drugs called orphan drugs and basically pharmaceutical drug companies they they're pharmaceutical companies they make these drugs and basically because they're so expensive and there's not the patient group for it like a huge patient group mm-hmm. they just kind of get shelved so there are people out there that are kind of or that are living with a rare disease that potentially there is help for them, but because the economics don't quite work out, the drug company shelves it, and then that that doesn't get to the patients. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily just the drug company's fault. That's you know that that's funding, government funding, etc. So 
I, I know that's one for Calvin and I, we're really, we really, really, really would love to push um, a documentary on that. You know, we've talked to Health Canada about doing a documentary on um, the opioid crisis. That's a big one for us. Oh, right. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's things that we're definitely interested in doing and furthering. It's just this holding pattern of uh, the current circumstance. So. So in your career, though, you know, taking on this, uh, this side, do you find that it provides you with like energy and excitement in your life generally to be able to have, you have an incredible career, but you're also being able to explore this other area where you're actually, you're making such a huge difference in so many people's lives? Uh, I think for me, I think it's, um, you know, my day-to-day job. Uh, and I and I actually chose it to be this way. I don't think it impacts human beings all that much, truthfully. I mean, it's a it's a corporate job. I I do it well, um, but I do have this side of myself that I like to feed, where I feel like I'm leaving a mark on the world. Um, you know, I didn't have children, so that mark isn't going to be left in that manner. So I think maybe my legacy and my kind of twisted view of things is that maybe this is something that I can leave behind to, you know, to, to spread a little bit of hope uh, for people. And, and I like, I like the storytelling side of things. I like learning about people. And, and I think that, um, I think that that, that this is, this is a beautiful way to tell a story of somebody's personal struggle. And I think it's beautiful when people want their story to be told um, for the betterment of other people. And I think that, so for me, the, all of the whole of it is, uh, is satisfying and it does, it does actually kind of push what I do in my day job because I know I can also do this too. Um, Mm -hmm. So they kind of feed each other a little bit. And, you know, of course my, my current job, they, some know that I do this as a, as a, you know, it's not a hobby and I, I wouldn't call it a hobby. It's just something that I like to do in my personal time. It's a, it's a, it's almost like, um, you, you have a purpose for it and a passion. It's, it's, you know, I, I think that's amazing. And I think that, you know, I, I just finished an interview this morning with, um, a woman from Google and she talks about the power of having an expansive life. And mm-hmm. really what she means by that is the idea that, um, you need to explore all areas of your life in terms of what you what your passions and drives are, and that you're actually going to find connections within those. So if your passion is cooking, for example, but you're also, you know, in the uh, world of law, and you're also doing all the you're doing these uh, documentaries, there's going to be interconnections. And, mm-hmm. and I think maybe for you as well, later on, you might realize potentially if you haven't already, that there's, there were some really incredible connections between all of your experiences in life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely use colleagues from my entertainment life. Uh, you know, I, we have an attorney that we use that's, uh, that was an attorney that I worked with when I worked for Alliance Atlantis. So um, definitely, and I, you know, I, this is something I hope to be doing for a long time. Um, I definitely, it's funny because you get to a point in your career and you, you, you're kind of like, 
okay, is this the summit? But mm -hmm. I realized that there's only a summit if you allow there to be. So for me, it's, I'm not near the summit. There are so many other things that I definitely want to do. I'd like to be mayor of my small town that I grew up in. I mean, that's something that I, I definitely will be looking at trying to do. I rented a house in the area that I have to be in. And <laughs> oh, okay. That's like, it. I'm, I'm, on I'm board. serious. And it <laughs> came up at Christmas with my brother Yeah. Uh, about me wanting to be mayor. And he's like, this is the first time I'm hearing of this. How long have you wanted to be mayor? And I'm like, like for a while, I've wanted to do this. So definitely something that, you know, will eventually come to pass, whether I do it, you know, I might just do council, a council run this, this time around. Mm -hmm. Because um, if I'm going to do it, I don't want to be doing my day job and be mayor at the same time. I think it's a lot, but, uh, and I want to do a good job at it. I feel like you have such an incredible perspective on life and so much experience. And I think you would do make an, an amazing counselor and mayor for sure. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I get on these boards on Facebook for the town and stuff. And, you know, people are, they, it's, you know, it's always the same arguments year after year here. and. I just, I said the other day, I said, well, stay tuned. I might run. And I got a lot of, well, I'd vote for you. <laughs> so. Yeah. Municipalities are ripe for, how do you balance work in your personal life as well? Do you, you know, that's clearly a priority for you as well as a whole person. You know, what advice do you have, especially during COVID where, you know, there's been added stress on people's lives? Yeah, I so it's funny, uh, it, when I was younger in my career, I, I did not balance work and life very well. Um, you know, hence not, you know, being married till later on in life and not having kids. And, um, and I think there was a moment, I, I think, you know, when I went through that big transaction with Alliance Atlantis, where it was a little bit of an epiphany that at the end of the day, um, it doesn't matter how married you are to your job, uh, it will continue to tick without you. And it's the old adage of it wasn't going to be those executives that would be beside my my bed when, you know, yeah. time, time came. And um, I think, I think for me, I have just sort of, it's, and I think people have a hard time with this now with social media and email. It's about boundary creation. So I definitely try to create a pocket of time for me and my loved ones. Um, so, you know, I, I do try to stick to the five o'clock, uh, turn off the computer. Doesn't always work. I mean, I do get a lot of phone calls or emails after hours. I still answer them. Um, but there are only a few nights uh, a month that I work till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, and I don't recall the last time I've worked until, you know, two o'clock in the morning. It, I haven't done that in a long time. And I think that's just, it's one of those things that, you know, you, as a young person, you have to say to yourself, there is a me mm -hmm. outside of this. And this is going to be there in the morning and the work never stops rolling. It doesn't. There's, and you'll never be ahead. So um, I think that there's, it's a fine line when you're young and you're trying to make your way, um, but it doesn't always have to be, I'm connected to my phone. You know, if you don't see your parents for 
you know, three weeks and you go visit your parents, you should not be on your phone. You know, you should be paying attention to those because around you because they could be gone. I think that's probably what COVID's kind of taught me the most is that I can be here and my loved ones can be around me and I'm not really paying attention to them Mm -hmm. because I'm working. Um, So they still require the same amount of attention that I would have given them if I was going into the office. Uh, It's this isn't a free pass to just work 24 seven. And I think that that's the balance. I think the, the balance is you're not giving your job or your career the best of you if you're constantly working. You're just not. Yeah. And I think even the ability to be all in into your work, but then also all into your personal life as well, because I think that's really important. And certainly early in your careers, it's definitely easy to get wrapped up in it. But I think as you get older, you realize, and even as you get older, I know, you know, you see people passing away more and you see, like, you realize how short life is and what is really important, you know? So, yeah. And it, and again, it's not, it's not, your job is important and, and being proud of your job is important and being proud of the work that you do is important. A lot of people say, you know, work, work to live, don't live to work or whatever that saying is. And I don't know, I don't necessarily subscribe to that saying. Um, Some people love to work. And if that's what fills you up as a human being, then, then fill your boots, I say, but you know, I think 90% of the population out there um, is afraid to kind of take a step back and, and be like, okay, I, there's me time. I'm, you know, there was a, there's a young girl that I work with and she had a very rough year last year and she was going to leave mm-hmm. and take on another job. And I said to her, I'm like, are you sure? Cause that seems like you know, jumping out of the frying pan and into a fire, you know, Mm -hmm. because now you've got to prove yourself all over again. Why not just sit down and ask, just say, can I work from home two days a week? Because I need, I need to decompress. I'm not, I'm not managing what happened to me this year very well. It's not a sign of weakness. Yeah. You know, everybody has a life to be able to have that ability and confidence to speak up. Yeah. And she, she actually took my advice. I was kind of surprised. Wow. Um, and she still works for us. That's and, amazing. You know, she's like, Oh, I never even thought of it that way. And I'm like, yeah, like there's no harm in asking for help. Nobody's going to be like, Oh, she had this terrible year and lots of bad stuff happened to her. And you know, that's, that's not the way employers look at you. You're still a human. Uh, I think even, especially even more so now with COVID like the, it's almost like companies um, that we're talking to, they have grown even stronger in terms of wanting to support their employees. And, and it is a case of, they don't know if you need help. So they don't speak up. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like, uh, you know, I, I would say, I, I have to say like, I'm, I'm, I'm probably like one of the lucky few because I, I have, I ha- I do work for a company that that's just how they have always been. And it's not just a, a COVID thing. It's a, you know, we're all in this together thing and, you know, we, we hang together and this is just what we do. And it's a rarity. And I think at this stage in my life to have that kind of um, place to work and that kind of, you know, community support as far as, you know, the corporate world, I think is pretty 
certainly 10 years ago, I don't think I would have imagined it. So that's amazing. It's lucky. And that's why I didn't want her to give up something that I think would be hard for her to replicate again, because she was full of pride to not say. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And and hopefully there might be somebody listening right now that needs that advice. So, you know, I think it's certainly, it's a perspective that, you know, don't be afraid to ask. So in terms of your, um, the documentaries, if anybody wants to watch them, where would they go? Um, We have a website, I believe it's supercontent.com. It's uh, Super is spelled S-U-P-R-E, um, and they can go there. They can watch them. Uh, I, I think you just register, and then you can watch them all for free. Uh, and we cover things like IBD, um, Crohn's, uh, psoriasis, schizophrenia, uh, and then and diabetes. And then, you know, there'll be more coming for sure. We're always trying to figure out what the next, you know, whose attention we can get next. So, Um, I think, you know, there's likely to be more on diabetes for sure. Um, But definitely, we'll we'll probably look to expand into into the mental health as well. Um, You know, as as time moves on, it's 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 a slow work in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we really want people to have the right information. That's great. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today. This has been a pleasure been great and uh again hey uh i'll be on your campaign (laughs) (laughs) for sure yeah absolutely thank you for listening to wln's breaking barriers podcast we truly appreciate each and every one of you if you enjoyed today's episode and you'd like to support the podcast please share it with a friend write a review or donate and become a member of our community. To find out about the amazing perks available to our members, visit patreon.com forward slash WLN Breaking Barriers. We want to help you continue to learn and grow. So visit womenleadershipnation.com, sign up for our mailing list to keep in touch with us and receive invaluable resources and new podcast episodes delivered to your inbox. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep breaking barriers.